This is yeah. Creator Culture by Hashtag Paid. Hey, I'm Danny DeSatnik, and if you're new here, this is a podcast all about creators. Every week, I'm chatting with incredible creators, and sometimes the people that support them. We're here to understand three things, how creators are building their brands, what their brand partnerships look like, and what to expect in the future from the world of creators. So welcome to week 13, and the creator industry feels massive today. Imagine what it was like 10 years ago. Chaos is probably one way to describe it. Today, it's matured. There's tons of investment in the space. Many different businesses have popped up to both support creators and brands. And brands have embraced working with creators as part of their marketing strategy. But with that said, there is still a long way to go. This week, I'm talking to Sylvia Ta, or as she's known on social media, Sylvia Jade. Sylvia is a beauty, lifestyle, and fashion creator, but that's only the half of it. She leads customer experience operations at Hashtag Paid, where she helps to enhance the relationship between brands and creators. Her perspective on the space is really hard to come by. One thing that was overwhelmingly clear during our chat is that creator education is vital to the success of this industry in the next 10 years. So let's get to the good stuff. Here's my conversation with Sylvia Ta. At the most basic level, I think that being a creator is just someone who wants to put content out there to share um, with other people. And I don't think it's about, you know, the number of followers you have or the number of subscribers you have. It's really at the basis, someone who wants to create content and, and share it with the internet. Is that the same definition or mindset that you had when you were starting? It, it sounds like you started around a decade ago. I didn't think of that back then. I think, I mean, yes, I think fundamentally it was about creating content and putting it out there, but I don't think my mindset was that, was that just because that didn't really exist as a concept back then. Back when I started, YouTube was brand spanking new and it really was just a video sharing website. Most of the videos on there were, um, you know, cat videos and those goats that run around and they like fall and look like they died or whatever, you know, a lot of really random stuff like that. It's interesting because I was reading an article from Ryerson's newspaper. You said in the article that brands right now, this is 2014, brands right now are just starting to understand YouTube as a marketing tool. Yes. What was the first interaction you had with a brand when they wanted to sponsor you on YouTube? I remember the very, very first time I got reached out to by a brand. It was a small company called Cheeky Cosmetics. Shout out. I don't think they're around anymore, but <laughs> shout out to them. Um, and they just wanted to send me some of their product to like try out. And that was like my very first brand interaction. So they sent me a bunch of products and I actually like loved their products. And for such a long time, all of my makeup videos was using their product. And we had a really happy partnership. They were really happy I was using their product all the time. And there was no paid promotion there. You know, it was a very uh, low key thing. So that was my very first brand interaction. Did you ever think like, oh, well, maybe I should take this to the next level? Or was it just so overwhelming that someone actually wanted to sponsor you or be a part of your world that you were okay with that relationship at the time? I didn't even know that this was something that could happen. And I was so ecstatic that a brand would be sending me stuff for free. So I was just happy to be doing that. And I didn't care about the payment. It was really about, wow, like, I kind of feel like celebrity people are sending me things like that was the feel. So then how did you come to the category of lifestyle, beauty, and fashion that you play in today? Was that natural or was that strategic? 
Um, I mean, when I first started off, it was a hair tutorial. Um, and then a few videos after that, I uh, got into like fashion. And that was really what propelled my speedier growth back in the day was the fact that no one else was doing fashion videos on YouTube. YouTube was it was filling up with like makeup tutorial folks and hair tutorial folks. But I was one of the first really to start doing like lookbooks on YouTube and um, share my fashion stuff. So that was what really set me apart. Um, and then like now that I've grown a little bit older, I think for me, I just want to share my lifestyle a little bit more because there's not one thing that I'm passionate about. There's, you know, fitness, there's food, there's just life. Like, And people being able to see me grow up throughout my life, I think is what's important because ultimately you follow people because you enjoy their personality or you're able to relate to them in some way. So I wanted just to share more of that as I grew older. Yeah, I can imagine. That's amazing, right? Getting to you know, cultivate a relationship with people around topics and categories that you genuinely care for. But then there's the negative side, right? Because everything is tied to who you are and your face and your voice and your name. I can imagine creator burnout is a pretty big issue. How have you been able to balance both being a creator, but also keeping up with your mental health? Honestly, in the past couple of years, I've really felt that burnout a lot. Um, I've slowed down on my YouTube. I don't upload as regularly. And I just wanted to make sure I was doing something I was happy with at the end of the day. For me, it it wasn't always just about like, sure, like this has given me so much of my life and, you know, is my main source of income and like, you know, has done so much for me. But at the same time, like, I'm happy to leave that behind if I know that it's not something that's going to make me happy anymore. And I think in the past few years, I've slowed down on YouTube a little bit and have focused more on like Instagram stuff because I find that more enjoyable. I can make these short videos. I still do YouTube. I just don't do it as frequently. And I think as the industry had evolved from like being less about passion and more about like fast entertainment, free entertainment for people. It was really hard to keep up. Back in the day, uploading one video a week was enough, more than enough. But now keeping up with the studios on YouTube that pump out multiple videos a day, it's really hard to keep up with. And that algorithm as someone who does it by themselves, it now feels like it's inadequate to just put one video out a day because it's not going to bring you very far. Is there a space where you can still grow as a creator if you're putting out content once a week? I think that there is a space for that once a week upload, but to manage your expectations when it comes to the success or the virality or the growth expansion of something like that, you know, I wouldn't say go into it doing one video a day thinking that you're going to hit a million subscribers in a couple of months, like some people do because they're uploading three times a day. And um, so I think like, because it's the internet, you are allowed to go to your own pace, but just there's levels to success of it. Was that very conscious in your decision in your strategy when coming up with the content is how fast you wanted to grow? Or was it more so just putting out stuff that you enjoyed that you knew the audience and the community would connect with? Yeah, definitely the second one for sure. Um, just wanted to put stuff out that I enjoyed that I knew people would like. Um, I never approached my channel as like, okay, we want to grow as quickly as possible and just become viral. Like if that was the case, the formula to that is to do prank videos and like social experiments. Like, you know how popular those things are. Like, I think that if we were doing that, you could grow really, really quickly potentially. But for me, it was always about at core, 
making content that I love. How quickly does that content keep evolving for you as you keep growing as this creator? Oh man, it, it evolves so quickly. You really have to keep up with all the social stuff. I mean, when TikTok came about, admittedly, I'm not great at TikTok at all. There's just something that I was never, I'm like, I mean, I won't say never, but it's something right now that is just not something that's clicking with me very well. Um, but like with Instagram reels now that are coming out, like that's something I can vibe with. And you just have to be pretty quick with all the movements and changes amongst social in order for you to capitalize on that growth. And by capitalizing on the growth, do you think that the audiences that you build, let's say on YouTube, are the same audiences that you'll build on Instagram or do they or do different channels serve different purposes to you as a creator? Definitely different channels with different purposes. Um, you would think that all of your viewership is going to be the same across the platforms, but that's not the case. I definitely have some people who are on my Instagram and only on my Instagram. And then I have some people who are, are uh, viewers of my YouTube channel that will only ever be on that. Um, but then, you know, there's crossovers with, with people who are really interested in following you, but it's just two very, very different types of content that um, different types of people would consume. Interesting. Because it brings me back to a conversation I had with a creator, it's supposed to be a couple months ago, and they spoke about how their YouTube, their, their primary YouTube channel was for their main source of content. And then they built a second channel which was more intimate to what they and what their audience really wanted to see. It was more of like, what do you want to see here? I'm going to put this out for you and viewership doesn't really matter. Did you ever think of building multiple channels for different, multiple channels within a single network or a single platform for different purposes? Yeah, I think that's really interesting that um, that creator took that approach. Um, I did at one point create like a separate vlog channel and, um, you know, decided that I was going to do that for a while. But then I ended up realizing that both of the content overlap so much that it was just best to kind of keep it on one. Um, I think that definitely there's opportunities for that. Um, but for me, I think that managing one YouTube channel is already like so much work that I couldn't imagine doing more than one right now. I'm still so interested on this like comparison between where you started and where we are today because of how fast everything's moved. How would you have de- described yourself, let's say, when you, were, when you were talking through that article in 2014? And then how would you describe yourself as a creator today? Like, is there a vast difference? Yeah, I think I, think I understand. Um, I think I've grown in business acumen over those years and over the last 10 years, obviously. And, and the space is still evolving a lot. I think back in 2014, for example, we weren't thinking about all the, you know, rights and the licensing and all that kind of stuff that comes with content creation. I think it was a little bit more cut and dry back then, but we've become a little bit more complex and a little bit more sophisticated. Maybe sophisticated is the right word, not complex, but understanding like the value of content creators a little bit more because if you think about it you know when you're hiring a photographer and a model and that comes with like you know a direct uh, a director a production assistant there's so many cogs in the wheel like an editor like you're paying for all of that whereas with a creator that's one person doing everything but we were charging one fee that was a lot lower than like all these other things which i get like it's it's great to work with creators for that cost savings at the same time though i think that there's a fair um, middle point where creators should be getting uh, compensated a little bit more for like their licensing. You know, when you use someone's, when you use a photographer's content, you're paying for their licensing as well. And the way I see it is that like back then it was very cut and dry, but now 
um, we're looking at scenarios where, hey, I've created this content, you're using it for your ad material everywhere, you're blasting it everywhere. That means you, the brand, you you haven't had to pay for your ad content creation like you did in the past. So I think that it's fair to find that middle ground of of understanding the the more value that creators have have brought over the past few years. So from this idea, like you, you brought up the word sophistication. Do you think that the sophistication is necessary from like getting creators to realize that they're more than just someone who puts out content and there are these facets to greater content creation and production that they should be thinking about and that's important? Or do you think that the sophistication comes or should come from the brand side where the brand needs to realize that the individual that they're working with is this like multifaceted production facility? I mean, I, I think it's twofold. I think it's both of those things for to understand. I've definitely been in this situation where I've been in both those situations. I've been in a situation where I'm like, hey, you know, I think that I should be valued at this because I'm doing this, this and this. And, and they're just not seeing it. They're not understanding like why I should be you know, valued at a certain amount. But I've also been in other situations where a brand is like, hey, right away, we're happy to be paying for your licensing. We know what we want to use it for. And like, we're happy to pay for all these things. I'm like, okay, cool. That's awesome. Um, so I think just like understanding on both sides what the market um, should or not should, but like what the market sophistication looks like now, uh, because it's going beyond just uh, an influencer posting a photo. Like it's beyond that now, right? Like now brands are taking that content, using it for paid ads or using it on their website or using it for digital. Like it's just gone so beyond a creator creating some content, posting it on their own channel. What's the best way creators can communicate the sophistication to brands? There's a few ways you can do it. I think that like part of it is you know, having that education piece, I, I always joke around with my friends that don't really understand this business as well is that when I, I, I speak to brands every single day, obviously, as a, as a creator, and the, I always say to them, like half of my job of being a creator and dealing with these business deals is educating the client. I feel like I spend half my time educating clients on like, you know, why these prices are the way they are, like what I'm working with them on, um, how they can be using the staff or or what this partnership should look like for it to be effective. So I think, yeah, there's there's one aspect of like just doing that legwork and educating the client and being like, hey, like, you know, I totally understand that you want to use this content all over your your paid ads. Um, so I'm happy to give you the licenses to use that because, you know, typically otherwise you'd be paying a model of photographer to, to create this uh, piece of content and then paying them licensing for it. It's great to also connect with companies that um, are in the forefront of this as well. Do you have companies top of mind that you think are setting a great example when it comes to working with creators and respecting that like sophistication? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously in a bias aspect, like hashtag paid, I think is is great um, with understanding that there's, there's a lot of rights beyond just like posting that content. So that's one thing for sure. Um, that being able to to acknowledge that there's other rights beyond just the content creation is one thing that hashtag paid has done well and is kind of helping brands understand that because as they're bringing on brands, they are educating them on like our behalf in a sense. So on this point, do you think that a governing body or like a set of standards that's going to that applies to all creators and all of these brand relationships is necessary? I think it's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm all for it. Like if there is going to be a party of people that kind of unionize together and help 
um, educate the industry or help create standards around that. I'm personally all for it because I think the hardest thing in some of the conversations that I have with other creator influencer friends, like we're constantly just being like, Hey, like, what's the norm here? Or can you help me out here? Like, what are you charging with this? Because there's just no standard. And when there's no standard, I think that the industry is set up to crash and burn. It it could crash and burn very quickly, right? Because then it's just a race to the bottom. Um, So I think that just having some standards and having some education, not even amongst brands, but amongst creators themselves um, is, is great for us to continue working in this industry and having it thrive. And I think it makes sense because when we look at the advertising industry, usually it's based off of an object or it's based off of a programmatic network in which like you're selling these advertisements through and now you're dealing with a person. So to me, I'm always on the fence of it'd be great to create standards, but then I feel like that could also do some harm to creators that even if they have 10,000 followers, maybe the content or the community that they've created impacts like a million people impacts like a following of let's say a traditional person with two or three million and so i never know where to stand and i feel like we're never going to get to the point just because we're dealing with humans compared to just dealing with an object like a billboard or a programmatic ad network i absolutely agree um and here's a great example is like you know let's say me and another creator, we have the same follower account, let's say we have the same engagement rate, and people would maybe look at us and be like, hey, you should be charging the same thing, right? But the unqualitative items that you need to consider is like the quality of content, or maybe how engaged our audience is with us. Like, perhaps my word with my audience is a lot more convincing and truthful than that, than the, than the trust that the, the other creator has built with their audience. Just because we have the same numbers, it doesn't mean that we have the same connection because we're humans at the end of the day, right? And then also, if you look at, um, I use this example a lot, is, you know, I'm Asian myself and a lot of my network are young Asian girls, very similar to me. And someone who has the same follower count or the same numbers as me, maybe who isn't Asian, if a brand is coming to us and like, hey, like we really want to promote like this makeup product for, I don't know, Chinese New Year, like I think my word is going to be stronger than the other creator's word. And in a sense, does that also then mean that my rate for that should be higher? Because if you were to pay us both the same rate, or let's say my rate is higher, would you not be more willing to pay my higher rate because you know I'm you're, I'm reaching the audience that you're looking for? But then it makes me wonder, like, it's easy to say, okay, Sylvia has an engagement rate of 10%. Danny has an engagement rate of 5%. So her word seems like it has more weight with the audience. Are there any intangibles that are easily communicated to a brand? I think there are so many intangibles, whether they're easily communicated to a brand or not. I'm not sure. But, you know, some intangibles are just like, um, again, like the type of audience they have. If your product is specifically for females, would you not pick Sylvia over Danny if you're, you know, let's say, I'm assuming your audience, let's say, is all males, right? Like, I think there's not beyond our numbers, like it's the demographic of what our reach looks like, right? Or let's say um, maybe my reach has a reach of people who are typically uh, shoppers at a Walmart, whereas maybe your reach are shoppers of people who uh, shop at Holt Renfrew, right? Maybe our numbers look the same, but our audiences may be completely different, which is the black hole of intangibles, in my opinion. Um, And then beyond that, just like quality of content, right? Like we might be at the same numbers, but maybe my quality of content is more organic looking and that's 
better for a brand and they found that works. And maybe your content is super editorial um, and uh, a brand specifically is looking for that over organic content. Through this conversation now, it almost sounds like there's just an inherent problem to working with creators at scale. And sorry, hashtag paid management, if you're hearing <laughs> this, there's this limitation because to your point, there's so many differentiating factors that can't be captured from an engagement rate or can't be captured from just one message from a creator. Like, should brands be activating at scale or should they be taking more time to get to know these creators so that hopefully they can see more success because they can then maybe notice the intangibles? I mean, I think it really depends on what your brand, um, you know, what you're selling, right? If it's something that is to the masses, I think that being able to scale that is a lot easier. But I think that if your product is pretty particular to a certain target audience, it's worth spending your time to get to know like that the creators that you're working with specifically. I don't think it's like a one size fits all. It's the same thing with marketing as a whole, right? Like some companies will put their ads in like coupon books or whatever, whereas other companies they choose one celebrity ambassador and like that's all their marketing spend. So I think that in a way within influencer marketing, there are multiple different approaches. Maybe the scaling and the mass scale works um, for your brand. But if your brand is a little bit more targeted, then spending some time to like really evaluate the creators you're working with, I think is worth it. Okay, well, we're on the topic now of working with brands, which is part of your role at Hashtag Paid. How do you balance working a full-time job in like this creative marketing operation space while still being a creator. I love being busy. And for me, I love what I do. Like I love what I do on both ends. That It never really feels like work to me. I, I don't work nine to five and then step away from computer. Like I, I don't believe in that. I integrate everything into my life. Like I will work, I'll do my creator stuff. I'll do my yoga, go to the gym, like at whatever time feels right to me. And I mean, great that I am working for a company that allows that flexibility. I don't look at it and be like, oh, here are my work hours and here are my chill hours. Everything is within my 24 hours and I do what I do to have to get it done. I don't have a time where I just sit and do nothing because that gives me anxiety. So I'm always doing something that I like to do. Fair play. Okay. Tell me, talk me more about the stuff that you love to do. What is it specifically? Like I know you work as a customer operations lead at hashtag paid. But what is it specifically about the role that gets you so excited? I think that just being able to empower creators is what I care about the most. Um, you know, obviously being a creator myself, I would say that, um, you know, in the past 10 years, I've seen a lot, I've heard a lot, and there's a lot of new creators that are just coming up, uh, coming about, maybe they found this growth within the last couple of months. And I just want to empower the creators to, you know, do what they do, and create, you know, a stream of revenue and, and love what they do. And then on the other hand, I care about fostering a healthy creator industry. I want this industry to last. I don't want it to crash and burn. So I think me doing this with hashtag paid is like my little contribution to the industry and trying to keep it healthy and afloat. And I love working with brands. So being able to get brands to want to work with creators more that's only benefiting me and my greater and the greater industry that I'm a part of at the end of the day. Or is there an example of a brand that you've worked with that you've just you've loved, whether it's the people or, or the product itself, but just left such a good taste in your mouth? I worked with Lancome at one point, 
And I don't know if it was fashion week that we went to for in Paris, but we did go to Paris with Lancome. And I got to explore like really the roots of the brand. So I think just being able to see that the brand cares about me as a consumer because I've used their product before and then letting me be a part of that story and, and really understand the brand more. Sounds like they're, they worked with you from like a research and development perspective to understand like why you like the products, what was it about it, what you'd like to see. Is that common in brand and creator relationships that you've been a part of and or that you've seen that they go that extra step to really understand these creators? Yes, absolutely. I see this very often with um, some of the bigger brands I've, I've worked with that will honestly just take the time to invite me into their offices, give me that tour. And like, we just sit down and talk and I share my experiences, they share theirs. Um, so I love being able to do that with brands that are so open to learning about uh, how to work with creators best and like grabbing also, you know, key information from them. Like I've I've consulted for many different brands before too, um, just explaining to them what the market looks like and what my audience might be looking for and how my audience consumes my content. Is there ever a time where a brand has reached out to you and paid you specifically to get information from your audience for them as a brand instead of them going through like a research study, for example? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've had a few instances where a brand has you know, paid me to just hear my thoughts about things like this actually happens uh you know not, i mean not super regularly but it's happened multiple times just to get like you know a consumer mind they've also paid me before to yeah like do some polls with my audience or like interact with them on instagram stories and like get that feedback and then be able to bring that to the brand i feel like that's so impactful like that's another side of influencer marketing that i would assume isn't like, taken advantage of as much as I believe it should be. Yeah. Now, I mean, now that I guess taking a step back and looking at it, I feel like that's another opportunity for brands to work with creators is to get almost like a focus group or that engagement from their audience to really hear what people are saying. Okay. I'm going to try run a, a hypothetical here and let me know what you think about this. Like, do you think creators in these, let's say, consumer focused categories so whether it's it's beauty or hair care or apparel whatever it may be should start collecting more data well maybe more so organically from their following to be like a an r&d center and to maybe even sell some of this information to the brands because they have such a close connection with them with their audience i think this sounds like a great business model danny when are we gonna get on this <laughs> All right. Well, once we stop recording, we'll discuss a business plan, a business strategy. Out of the friends that you have that are creators, is this something that is conscious in their like strategy as a creator? No. I, you know what? This is the thing that I um, that I talk about pretty often with other people is that you know you would think that being a creator that they would submit things on time and be business professional and all that kind of stuff, right? At Hashtag we hear we hear about this a lot. We're like, oh, this creator like didn't submit this on time or or you know didn't know this or whatever. But the but what people don't realize is that a lot of these creators don't have a business background, right? Like these creators come from everywhere and anywhere. It just so happened that like I have a background in marketing and I've always been in business. So I would say that I could kind of connect the dots a little bit better together. But I also have friends who are like who their background has always been in like pharmacy or whose background's always been in like science, these business concepts don't come as naturally to them. I think that a lot of people just don't realize that and they forget that just because they're a creator, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily a business person or have business acumen behind that. 
So then let's try to take this full circle. If you were to go to Ryerson today, where you went for undergrad, you said you took marketing, and it's obvious from our conversation that you think in a very business or st- like strategic way. Should universities be adding some type of like content creation and or creator course to potentially solve, whether you're in business or not, but offer such to potentially solve for this issue? Interestingly enough, I had a professor that he started creating these like social media related courses and um, they, they started offering that. And uh, we connected and I was like, you know, it's insane to me that I only had one digital marketing course one that was the only one offered and it was about basically like kind of paid ads in a sense like they were talking about cpms and stuff like that right so like it's mind-blowing to me that now years later i'm like he's he's offering these like social media courses that have to do with content creation and, and are teaching about influencers and he's used my content as examples in his classes and whatnot is he paying licensing fees though right i yeah i should start asking for licensing fees on that you're right we kind of went full circle we talked about a lot of good stuff from like supporting creators, creator burnout, creator education, how to be potentially sophisticated when it comes to being a creator and what brands need to look for. Where do you go as a creator in the next five years? I mean, to be honest with you, um, I have thought about quitting a lot. Like in the past, I think, few years when I was dealing with a lot of burnout, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like it's just, I'm not happy doing it anymore. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, I can't help but love to connect with my audience like being able to share those moments with my audience and them genuinely being happy for me these people that have never even met me genuinely being happy for me is like a different type of feeling that I think a lot of people maybe will never experience Um, and I love that like I feel so connected to them and what that looks like in the next five years I mean it's hard to say I think for me it's more like I'm going to do it until I stop loving what I'm doing. Right now, I love every part of what I'm doing. uh, But I would love, even if I wasn't, let's say, a creator anymore, like on the forefront, I think I would still be in some sort of role where I am empowering um, creators to work together and um, just giving that, helping foster that, that industry for it to still be healthy and for other people to have that chance because they loved it so much. 